This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. Nation podcast from the Hubcast studios. Uh, thanks to the folks at CFL Reddit for uh, getting this out there. I'm Jim Mullen. He's Gord Randall. Uh, last week, we recorded a podcast, but we didn't get it out there. Yep. The reason for that was by the time we would have got it out, there was kind of dated. We made... Uh, well, I think I, we also turned it into uh, CBC Radio for a bit there, too. Yeah, yeah. We would have driven anybody that wanted to listen to football away from a great distance. But my prediction on the election was fairly close. Yeah, your prediction of an NDP majority? Bang on. No. no. <laughs> If you looked at Mr. Singh's post, uh, post-election uh, speech there, it certainly looked like they'd won a majority the way they were celebrating. Uh, yeah, yeah. It looked like a good time, though. Uh, well, a good time and a long time, apparently, according to that speech. Uh, yeah, well, and the lady in the front row probably didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> Tax the wealthy! <laughs> yeah, ma'am, ma'am. I'm Housing! Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, you know, I share some of her sentiments, but uh, do not share some of her blood alcohol level. Uh, anyway, let's... Uh, <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's steer this discussion back over to uh, football of the college variety. Um, and uh, first of all, let's um, talk about something that uh, could very well happen in this country next year, which is uh, the youth sports season starting a week earlier to accommodate a pairing of the Vanier Cup and the Grey Cup together. The, uh, I've got a little bit of buzz about that. By no means is it, a, is it a done deal yet, because I know that when these things go to Kafka, and Kafka is the organization uh, that represents all the Canadian university football coaches, uh, when they get together at, uh, at Vanier Cup, they normally can talk themselves. Steve, Steve Samar is the head of that, correct? Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. who would want to be the head of that? Like, yeah. who would want to be the head of Football Canada? Yeah, um, yeah but, uh, yeah, uh, Steve... No, actually, Steve is not the head of that. He's the number two of that. Chris Morris is the head of Kafka okay. these days. But I think this is his last year as the head of Kafka. Um, uh, anyway, they, they usually talk to a stalemate on any number of issues because you've got the small schools and the big schools kind of coming together and hitting a wall on any number of uh, uh, organizational issues. Um, I think this is something that most of them can probably agree on isn't necessarily good for the student athlete in this case. You start this thing a week earlier, it's another week's worth uh, of employment uh, that uh, these kids aren't engaging in. and. Funding their education. We don't have full rides up here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say certainly the OUA can't afford to move its schedule any earlier. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you get, too, is before school's in session, like, you got empty stadiums. So it's cutting down on revenue. And I, I understand that for a lot of these schools, the revenue coming out of home football dates is fairly negligible anyway. But, like, 
you're still cutting down on revenue. Like a thousand bums in the seats is better than three hundred, mm-hmm. and that's what you're getting when you get when you get these games before schools or before classes are in session because you get none of the students out. Um, and some markets have. Um, you know, a built-in fan base within the locals in the market, but some of them just don't. And so, um, I mean, it's, I don't think it benefits anyone to move it back further into the summer. But that being said, the OUA does start its regular season a week earlier than every other conference right now. I think if the other three conferences were moved back and aligned with that, it wouldn't be such a big deal. I just really think that moving it back even a week further for the OUA would really not be a great decision. In, in years previous, I would have advocated for the OUA doing away with their quarterfinal. Uh, yeah. But you know what? The quarterfinal's relevant now. <laughs> now now that you've got a competitive conference, maybe we're just in part of a cycle right now. But now that you've got a competitive conference, you're not just serving up a schmo to one of the leaders uh, in one of the semifinals. Well, you, you uh, realistically, the way, it, the way it would have to work, I think, is the, o- the OUA would have to amalgamate with the Q. And I think we both agree on this. And you, like you just, the problem is that it's so disproportionately large compared to the other conferences in this country. Like it's twice the size of any other conference in this country. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's, that's the problem. And I understand that people in Ontario really want there to be an Ontario champion and, and they can have ownership of that. And I get that, but bigger picture, um, I just think that having a, a central conference, so to speak, you know, a, whatever, an upper Canada division and a lower Canada division. <laughs> I'm sure Quebec would sign on to that nicely. But, um, I just think ultimately in the big grand scheme of things, that makes a lot of sense. And what you do is you is you permanently tie those two conferences together for the national semifinal and make sure that you have a, uh, you know, central Canada, you know, industrial belt, golden horseshoe, whatever you want to call it, champion. Well, I, I think the uh, concern that you would get out of Queens, uh, out of Carleton, out We're of Ottawa. They're never going to beat Laval. They're never going to beat Laval. So in the first round of the playoffs, the simple solution to that is you don't play Montreal or Laval in the, in the first round of the playoffs. You go cross-seed, mm-hmm. right? So uh, number two plays number one in the other, in the other division. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is, is that with eight teams per division, which is what you'd end up with, uh, you would play each team in your division once and you would have that one crossover game with a team in Ontario or a team in Quebec, depending on what side of the ledger you're on. So for the concern that that Queens has about Mm -hmm. uh, uh, connecting uh, with their alumni base in the GTA, they could play a York, they could play a U of T, you know, they they could get into that area uh, to to have that one game per year. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it solves a lot of things. I think it creates, if they can ever get their ducks in a row for any sort of television, well, a game say, of the week uh, that, yeah. that, that you could produce out of that, well, but, that yeah, you could drop well, into the central Canadian market. We've kind of talked about yeah. that here. We've talked about it online. We've talked about it before. But I think one of the reasons we talk about it so much is because I think there's a frustration for those of us who care about the destiny of the game that we've just been sitting here for six or seven years slowly sliding down the hillside without getting any kind of traction for any sort of new constructive model that this game needs to to occupy some uh thin slice of the media pie well i think i think speaking entirely for myself my frustration is with everything in this country being done via path of least resistance yep and that, and that really is frustrating because that does not move things forward. And it's exactly the types of values that 
every football coach out there is preaching to their players. The easiest way is never going to be the most effective way. It's never yeah. going to be the best for us. You have to buy into the process and put in the work to do things the right way, even if they're harder, because that's, that's how you're going to be successful. But, and, and but it's, and amateur, it's amateur sport management in this country is risk management. It's not about... It's not the private model of building and growing, growing the market, though. So, so that those are the two things, the two ideas, and the two concepts that are competing with each other right now in that in that marketplace. And risk management is winning. Yep. Well, which is frustrating because correct me if I'm wrong, but I like I know it, it's not the national governing body. So, U Sports is not government funded, is it? Uh, they get a little bit of Sport Canada money. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Well, but but essentially, they're not. They're, they're membership funded. The, the the members drive the yeah, drive so the funding. It's frustrating for me that it's acting like a government body with this risk management mindset. And and the problem with risk management, like, I'm sorry, but if you're not taking it, with the position that they currently occupy. You have to take some risks. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you cannot just sit there and be risk averse. The people who can afford to be risk averse, like transition it back to the football field. The football team in this country that can afford to be risk averse and is, is Laval. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're freaking better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. really good and they're able to win a lot without having to take risks because they don't have to put themselves out on the line. So they can play to make sure that they don't lose games because they know that if they play that way, their skill will bring them to the top. They have too much of a strong foundation in place. Now, does that sound like the position that U Sports occupies within the Canadian uh, sports zeitgeist? No, 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 it's not at all. That's how the NHL. That's how the NHL can operate yeah. in this country. Yeah, yeah, right. And that and that's the problem. Like you, you, the NHL can be risk averse. Fine, whatever. And the funny thing is, I mean, I think that they've actually been pretty smart with that in this country. They they play things fairly safe and close to the vest in this country, and they take their risks in the states because mm -hmm. they occupy a different spot in the market. You see how this all comes full circle, Jim? Well, well it, it's it, it's pragmatism too, and I find that um, you know, university organizations and university athletic organizations lack a lot of pragmatism. The, the I think a, a clear example of that happened this week in Saskatchewan. They know that down the road in Regina, there's a big old hockey game happening uh, at, uh, at Mosaic Stadium. Uh, what does the University of Saskatchewan choose to do with the scheduling? They don't schedule their senior night, their final night, where they're supposed to salute their fourth and fifth years on the Friday night, which is their, easily their best drawing night. Yes, it's winter. Yes, it's cold. But put that game on the Friday night, and they don't have... They had 600 people. I don't care if they reported 1,105. They had 600 people in the stands for that game. 1,006. I've never seen a stadium that empty uh, in, in Saskatoon. And there's a whole other set of reasons that, that flow into that in terms of funding and support and lost opportunities. But just one move, one move to take a little bit of a risk in regard to the weather, realizing and being pragmatic enough to know that maybe a thousand of your fans or 1,500 of your fans are getting in a car and driving down to Regina to watch a, a pretty special hockey event yep. uh, with uh, 33,000 of their friends and, and make sure that you can accommodate those fans. They don't accommodate fans. Can I, can I, can I just point out, by the way, just on the hockey thing, yeah. that after that game and the rousing success that it was and all that kind yeah. of stuff, John Shannon went, I wonder how an NHL franchise would do in Saskatchewan. Uh -oh. Stop. Uh -oh. Stop it. <laughs> like, come on. Really? 
The NHL many moons ago made their signal that they didn't want to be in Saskatchewan and when the St. Louis Blues were purchased and they were going to be the Saskatoon Blues at, uh, at, uh, at, a, at an arena that's sitting there waiting for an NHL franchise, which will probably wait as long as, as the one in Quebec City right now. <laughs> do, do you remember, you weren't around for this, uh, the St. Louis nope. Blues, when they were purchased by, by this group out of Saskatchewan, actually boycotted the NHL draft. There, there's a year of the draft where the St. Louis Blues didn't draft anyone as a form of protest because the NHL wouldn't let them move their franchise to Saskatoon. That's good, yeah, self-destructive protest, yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah, well, they did, they did some damage in St. Louis as the, uh, for a few years after the, yeah. that dream was given up on, but. Uh, well, I think by being really bad on the ice probably didn't help them either. I mean, good, uh, that, that was nice seeing St. Louis finally win one, even though I don't have a ton of love loss for that franchise, but it was nice to see them finally win one last year. But, uh, but uh, you know, getting back to um, considering, the, uh, considering the potential fan in the mix, I, I think uh, a number of schools have done a good job of considering the students. I think we see it out here with UBC, with the two dates that they've created uh, uh, for students. Uh, but uh, there's, a, you know, seeing the numbers go down again by significant percentages. For, after a while, it goes from a concern to you just except that it's a it's a diminishing base that's following the game yep. at least in terms of showing up at the park in this country yep it is and, and i mean every market has its own unique challenges but the the common thread amongst all of them is that people don't have enough access to the product it's not i, I again like I, I know that we've hit this ad nauseum yeah, so yeah, i don't yeah. want to get into it too yeah. much but you know like it, it's it's you have to be able to have access to the product to follow it from afar Right? Even your diehard fans, like the team's going to play half its games out of the market. You're not going to follow them to from Vancouver to Winnipeg. Well, it's, so not, it's not even following. It's collisions. Uh, yeah. I, I mentioned it on the show uh, this week, if it, if it doesn't get edited out, um, that uh, the one thing that our sport needs more than anything is just to be out there. Not because there's, there's uh, a committed following to it, per se, just so it's an option if someone sees it on the grid and goes, oh, no, what about that? Yeah, oh. football. Hey, look, oh, that looks kind of neat. Yeah. And, and th th that's your gateway. And as much as everyone uh, wants to, uh, within the university community, wants to focus on webcasts, you don't get that collision. You're still isolated. You're still in a pocket. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you're perusing through... Uh, through Facebook and it comes up as a, as a Facebook Live, it's still a pocket. It's not like television. Television still has the numbers. Regard yeah. People can talk about future numbers and future projections and they can talk about um, uh, subscription-based services. At the end of the day, it's television that's still the most accessible uh, element out there. Yep. It's diminishing, there's no doubt about that, but mm -hmm. it, it, it's still the backbone. So it, uh, you know, as we sit here heading into November, and the, who knows, we might get an announcement out of U Sports this week about it, but, you know, we still sit here without uh, national playoffs and without uh, the Vanier Cup on English television. And I am not paying $3 a month for uh, TVA Sport. Yeah. Because it's not available in BC. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, on, 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 uh, on, uh, on TELUS it is, on Shaw I was just going to say, I'm a TELUS subscriber, and I'm pretty sure I have the option. 
Uh, well, I guess I'll be over at your place. No, no, I have the option. I don't have Tevia Sport. I have yeah. regular Tevia. Yeah. Which I think the Vanier is actually on regular Tevia. So. Mm, really? I, I don't know. I thought I'd heard that, but I could be wrong. Well, that'd be nice. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, we should have uh, a live podcast actually. Yeah. During that, we we can just uh, it can be the two of us with Adam shouting at the TV while the game's going on. So you have English commentary. Yeah, there you go. That's good. I yeah. like that. I, I like that. I, I I think we've solved your problem, U Sports. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> the two of us. Yeah, I'm sure that's what U Sports wants more than anything is the two of us yelling more. Um, yeah, I mean. It, uh, uh, we had a number of our high school football players go to UBC's last home game a week and a half ago, mm -hmm. and uh, the feedback from them coming back. Now, granted, it was it was a really good game. UBC yeah. beats Saskatchewan 37-35. Uh, lots of excitement. The the feedback coming back from them was like, wow, that was really neat. It was awesome being out there. But you know, a lot of them like that was their first even like anything resembling exposure yeah. to UBC football. Yeah. And you know, like I remember myself in high school as diehard as I was, but like before I started like seriously entertaining. Playing football at the college level, like I didn't pay much attention to UBC. Well, should should we expect that that level of uh, coverage and exposure uh, these days for uh, a product that, well, you know, let's face it, on average draws twenty three to twenty five hundred a game across the board, and there's that there's that number that always jumps out at the start of the year with the nine or eight thousand that each of these teams gets. Yeah, um, you know. Should we expect that? Because certainly Division II football or even FCS football in some markets barely gets exposure. Like Portland State is a great example. They, yep. they used to play at the, uh, at the uh, park that the Portland Timbers play in. And, it was and, that football, and that soccer stadium was designed in a way where Portland State could play in it. They play in a secondary municipal stadium now. Mm -hmm. uh, they, and and they, they have a hard time uh, putting people in the seats, and they have a hard time uh, with with Oregon and Oregon State down the road yeah. creating any noise around that. So is it even realistic uh, to, to think that, uh, especially in larger urban markets like Vancouver is or Toronto is, that, that you can uh, make a dent in English Canada with this product anymore? Um, maybe. Well, uh, that's a tough question. There's a lot of elements to that question. I mean, are you asking whether they can make a dent in the Toronto or Vancouver markets? I don't know. But, I mean, the CFL, for example, is, I'm not going to say it's a blip in those markets, but it's not forefront in those markets. And that's that's been its existence reality for a long time. And maybe it's just, we just realized that there's too much going on in those two markets for football to really be at the forefront of most people's minds. Football I mean, takes a lot football. of resources and a lot of concentration for the novice too, right? Oh, there you go. Uh, cowbell. Need more cowbell. Um, I mean, there is... Just so people know. Yeah, just so the... Uh, I had a fever. Any of the Quebecers <laughs> listening to us can uh, relate. Um, I mean, it's there are still strong football communities in those two markets, but it's just not... It's never going to come across as being part of the the forefront of the market because there's just so much going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, so I don't think that that's critical to make an impact in English Canada. You've just got to uh, embrace your base. And I mean, to be honest, like we, we've had some issues I, in, with the way that Canada West has structured their TV package over the last couple of years. But one thing that they have certainly done is they've identified where their, where their base of fans is and they have catered to them. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's, uh, that's, Kind of got to be the way that you, you drive it forward on the national level. Well, that's where it's, it's where the money are. comes from too. Like Shaw was right across Western Canada. Mm -hmm. SAS tells what drives what 
um, Canada West does through their partnership. And, and of course, as a result, SaskTel puts the showcase games on yep. that feature teams from Regina and Saskatoon. Yep. And, you know, if they're the ones making the investment, good on them. Yep, right? as well. Uh, you know, I think where it's lacking a little bit is uh, the promotion for a TELUS co uh, customer like yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, <laughs> unless you were you were attached to this, like you're attached to this yeah. game, like how would you know it even exists out there as a as an alternative? Well, exactly. I mean, Canada West didn't even really put out much of a press release this year in terms of announcing its schedule and, and promoting it and that kind of stuff. Focused on sales. Yeah, and so Not I mean, growth. I had to go and look and figure out the cheat code. So it's actually kind of a cheat code to to figure out how to watch these games too, because what Telus does is they park them on one of their pay-per-view channels that is normally just reserved for pay-per-view special events. Mm -hmm. And so it comes up, like the channel is listed as pay-per-view. So like, I mean, people stumbling across the dial, A, they probably miss it because it's like channel 996 or it's something. Like, hey, come over here. You can score a bag of football but in, yeah. in the back alley, right? Yeah. Like, but it's also Nonsense. listed. But it's also listed as pay per view, which means yeah. a lot of those collisions you were talking about, people are going to skip that because they think that they're yeah. going to have to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. So it's uh, that's unfortunate platforming outside of Saskatchewan. But again, I I understand like we're not necessarily the target market there. But it's uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I assume that that deal uh, applies to the Canada West playoffs as well. Uh, I think if there are people out there, and I may be wrong, I'm sure someone can correct me on this if I am. Uh, the regular season is one package, and the playoff games are another package. But you should be able to get the playoff games in the Hardy Cup uh, if you're uh, a TELUS, MTS, or SASTEL subscriber. Which I am. So. Yeah, and and the good which thing I am is, not. And the good thing is that, uh, I mean, you talked about the Friday night games. I hate when they're broadcast as the Friday night game. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Because it's high school football, and, mm -hmm. and, it, and it is out here for sure. Again, I don't know uh, if it's all Friday nights across the country or if it's a little bit more varied. In other, it's all, in it's other all over the place. Depends but where you go. in this province, Friday night is Friday night lights. It's high school mm -hmm. football. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as a high school football coach, which I know is a shocking thing for a football guy to be involved in, high school football. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't watch any of them. I think there were two games all season that I could have watched because that, those are the only two times they did the Saturdays. Yeah. Because the Saskatchewan uh, markets love their Friday night games. They do. So. They do. Do you ever watch, uh, like, I, I do it for, for research purposes, but can you ever sit down and watch a video on demand game or, or like a recorded game and not feel the temptation to just abbreviate it on your own? Yeah. I, can't, I can't sit down and watch a, watch a whole recorded game. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by abbreviated? Like, well, no, like abbreviated on your own. It's like yeah. you know, like when when you're a when you're a football uh, watcher, a fan, a media person, you you want to you actually want to absorb the game in its regular flow. Yeah. But knowing that you got the trigger there, knowing that you got the button yeah. there, no, all of a snippets. sudden it turns into a thirty-minute experience or twenty-minute experience, yeah. and, and you actually just don't get the same thing out of it. No, you don't. I mean, for me, uh, I have a couple of teams that are my teams that I'll watch the entire game for. But yeah, I mean, it. it I find it tough for my attention span to be attached to these products for three hours at a time. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can be. It can be pretty difficult, especially when you get to 
some of these games in their in their slow moments where it turns into two and out, two and out, two and out, two and out, and you're like, oh my god. Like, well, it, did, and, and it didn't like, help. It didn't all, help all the CFL this year with having the playoffs basically decided weeks ago. Yeah. Well, and, but even like that that UBC Saskatchewan game I was talking about uh, from a couple weeks ago. There, mm -hmm. um, I know that there was a pretty significant lull in that game for about a quarter and a half, where mm -hmm. it just slowed right down to a crawl, and then ultimately it picked up again. But I mean, those those lulls, unfortunately, is where a lot of people get lost if they have other programming options out there so well in, in some ways i'm glad that the alberta saskatchewan game this past week wasn't on tv it took alberta how many minutes to get their first first there was three minutes left in the second quarter before they got their first first down uh, right. time of possession 21 minutes for alberta yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah. i mean i mean that was that was painful to watch and that that's one thing that yeah, they've become one-dimensional again right it, that unfortunately they've become a pass pass only attack with jonathan rosary out the, the the i mean that uh saskatchewan ubc game mm -hmm. kind of the exception of the rule this year i mean the, the, there's been some pretty painful football to watch uh, now, Certainly, out west. Yeah, out west. Out west. Back east, like Ontario, it's been, been great. real strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm focusing uh, on Canada West but, right now. But hey, this well, didn't this didn't sneak up on us. Like, no, if you we think knew. back, if you we think knew. back to the to our season preview episode, yeah. we talked about how we felt the OUA was going to be the class conference this year, and right and, and, and how Canada West was going to fall off because of quarterback play. Yeah, down a down year in the Canada West. Yeah, yeah, but, and, and it certainly was. But it's it's further down than than I expected it to be. And I think one of the reasons for that is the hideous number of injuries in Calgary. Yep. Because, you know, Calgary's been been up and down, you know, mainly based on having anywhere between seven to ten starters out. Well, uh, the, the other team that we thought might rise in the Canada West was Manitoba because Des Catelier going into his, mm -hmm. is his fourth or his fifth season now? His fourth. So, um, but Des Catelier, the other experienced pivot in the province, mm -hmm. um, or in the, in the conference, I should say, um, you know, we thought that this was maybe the time that he'd put it all together, and it looked like he, he's, he's had flashes, but he hasn't been consistent, right? He's had mm -hmm. games where he's looked really off, unfortunately. And so Manitoba's settled into being a middle-of-the-pack team that they really thought, I think, that they were better than this year. And, the, and then in Saskatchewan, um, you know, they had some early season uh, struggles, I think, as they, as they recovered from the number of grads they had. They've been stronger down the stretch, and you talked about exceptions to the healthy. rule. They've been healthy. You talked about exceptions yeah. to the rule. I think them losing that game here in Vancouver kind of is the exception to the rule right now for the Huskies, mm -hmm. uh, and that they've, they've been strong, really strong on the ground, and with, with Adam Mackert just, just churning up the yardage on the ground and Mason Nihis being able to supplement that with being able to throw the ball confidently, like, that's the best team out west. That being said, though, I still – I said this on our show this week, I, which I hope doesn't get cut, but I – I doubt it will. Um, but I said this on our show this week. If you're t if you're asking me to handicap the national semifinals right now, I am I am picking whoever comes out of the OUA out of whoever whoever hosts in the Canada West. Yeah. Um, even 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 though Canada West is hosting, and we, and we know the numbers overwhelmingly are in favor of the host in that case. Mm -hmm. uh, and and one of the reasons why I would side with that if if Saskatchewan makes it through, Colton Klassen was taken off on a cart in mm -hmm. that uh, game against Alberta. If there's one guy. That embodies the yep. fighting spirit and productivity that that offense yep. needs, and and one and a guy, guy who was fantastic last November too. Oh, just awesome last November, and, yep. and, and you know you can see his attitude on the field. Yep. Um, you know, take that guy out of the mix. I mean, that really hurts. That 
I don't think it hurts the, the, the uh, Huskies as much as it hurts uh, the Alberta Golden Bears having rosary out of the lineup, but it hurts just the same because there's other parts of the Saskatchewan Huskies game that, that have been solid all year long. The offensive line, the defensive front, some great performances by the secondary. Nios, is, as uh, you suggested, when he's healthy, he, he, he stands up there with the best quarterbacks uh, in the conference, but you know, it's... It's a low season for Canada West this year. Yep, uh, but you do see like there's there's some younger talent waiting in the wings. Um, you know, UBC and Regina seem to have finally figured out their quarterback situations going into next year. Hopefully, at least. Uh, you know, Alberta showed flashes this year and then had some key injuries. Manitoba's always got talent, and it's just a question of whether they can put it together. You know, Macho Bakri looks like one heck of a ball player uh, blooming out there in Winnipeg. Um, you know, Saskatchewan's got a ton of talent. Nelson Lacombe is another guy we haven't mentioned by name. Yeah. Who's still yeah. got at least one more year there, likely. Um, and then Calgary's always Calgary. So um, I, I think it'll be better in future years. I do just think that this is a this is a down year for them. Um, yeah. But but, so, but but in terms of a callback here, and what we preface this with in terms of uh, having the season start earlier. Uh, one way that Canada West could start their season at the same time is doing away with the bye week. But given the number of injuries we've seen mm -hmm. this year, um, given the lack of depth on some rosters, is that something that you can do in this conference? Is give up a bye week where you can get where you can get healthier, or can you go week after week uh, at this pace in this game? Um, I'll be honest. When you move the season back a week, all of a sudden that bye week falls in week seven. And at that point in time, it's if you're matching it up with, with Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at that point in time... Seven or six, depending yeah, on the year. At that yeah. point in time, it's almost too late for it to have that much of an impact. You need it like a recess or a lunch in the middle, don't you? Yeah, you need it like a lunch break in, yeah. week, in what would be week five yeah. and split the season in half. Yeah. But the thing is, now you're looking at a, like last week of September bye week that's just kind of out of the out of nowhere yeah and something that hits you at the gate if gate actually matters to your program yeah and so one of the things that the the, the um bye week currently is is nice for everyone involved really is that it's thanksgiving weekend and, and it gives people the opportunity to go home yeah uh, and it's the alternative to the oua's version which is forcing a bunch of games in on the thursday so people can get out of town afterwards mm -hmm. um which i don't know that's not the worst thing in the world either but no. You know, it, it does, I think the Canada West solution is, is a lot tidier currently. Yeah, but so uh, if you're making a choice right now, if you were the quote-unquote commissioner of Canada West football and you were being instructed, you would either have to start the season a week earlier or do away with your bye week, what would you do? Well, to be honest, knowing the way things work in this country, I'd put it to my members. <laughs> Um, and it's funny, too, because... Uh, You're telling the president of Football Canada this. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's funny, too, because uh, this past Friday, uh, we had professional, a professional development day, and I went to the Vancouver Writers' Fest yeah. and saw a really good panel that you would have absolutely loved yeah. uh, called Democracy in Flux, mm -hmm. and it featured Adam uh, 
Godkin, I think his last name is, mm-hmm. who writes for the New Yorker. He's Canadian. Uh, David Mosscrop, who mm-hmm. you're probably familiar mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And then a third guy, uh, Harold Williams, who's an, who's an Indigenous uh, writer and activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a really good panel about the state of democracy currently, piggybacking off the election, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things they talked about is uh, they talked about the situation in the UK right now because they were talking about parliamentary democracy and how, how well-established it is and all that kind of stuff. And someone right. rightfully pointed out, well... You know, the original parliamentary democracy ain't doing so hot right now. Uh, and so the host was, uh, I cannot remember her name, but she was a CBC radio host who had recently interviewed David Cameron. Mm-hmm. And David Cameron, I guess, still is unapologetic for the Brexit referendum. He's, not, he's, he's apologetic for the way things turned out, but he's not apologetic for hosting the referendum because he, cl- he believes that the people were demanding it. And the comment out of that panel was, Governing by referendum is not governing. And it's so true. Well, it's, right? it's, it's, it's mixing systems. Kind of, yeah. It's mixing systems. Like, you, you have to choose a system of governance Yeah. Uh, in this case. And, uh, you know, the system of governance within university sport is very much directed towards the members. You're, yep. you, you, the, the, it's, it's built on consensus. Mm-hmm. We, we ran into that when we were dealing with the... Uh, uh, with the Northern Eight, where we had a majority of schools in, in Quebec that were on board, or we had uh, all of the schools in Canada West who were on board until a couple worried about it on the edge, still in the minority, but that was enough to, to, to ensure that things didn't move ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand uh, the need for consensus when you don't have resources. Yep. The, the, you know, that's what it comes down to is... is if you are going to uh, challenge some of these organizations to the breaking point, resources-wise, you 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 can't drag them along unless you're willing to subsidize them. But that, that that's the story said, of Canada. Actually. But that being <laughs> said, though, if you're relying on consensus from the membership as a leadership organization, that is an absence of leadership. You oh yeah, are not oh, providing I agree. leadership. I agree. The correct way to provide leadership is to seek feedback from the membership. Yeah. But your Take job, guidance. like if you're if you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position of oversight, then your job is to ultimately make that decision. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I coach as a head coach. Yeah. You take feedback from your assistant coaches, feedback from the players where appropriate, but mm-hmm. ultimately you're the one making the decision right. based on all the information that you have gathered because that's what leadership is. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're in that position. Well, sometimes organizations don't want leadership, though. What do you say to those organizations that want to be guided by consensus? Those organizations that want to be guided by consensus can take a look at their bottom lines and see how shitty they are right now and see how that's working for them. And that's that's about all I that's about all I can say to that. If it works, great. Yeah. Congratulations. Do yeah. it that way. Yeah. But if you're gonna look me straight in the eye right now with a straight face and tell me that it's working right now, mm-hmm. like I, I got a bag of magic beans to sell you. I'm just wondering if there's any organizations out there that that are consensus driven that we can point to that that work on a national scale. I mean, there's a, well, no, there, there, there's is there a certain degree of con- Canadian Football League, for example? There's got to be a certain degree of consensus on that board of governors that allow them to move forward as a group. Yeah, the, but the, the, even, the, that, the, the, even the, that is not entire. Like, it's not a hundred percent consensus that they have to have on every issue to move forward. Yeah, it's majority consensus. Yeah, yeah. right. And and that's I think that's the missing element here is that when you're talking consensus in in the amateur ranks right now it's a hundred percent hundred percent and that is that yeah. is next to impossible to do yeah 
you know, like two thirds majority or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, put something in your bylaws that says, look, if you're by yourself and holding out on something, sorry, like this is the will of the people, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, but unfortunately everybody has to be on board and that's, that's next to impossible. Like, that's a recipe for just maintaining status quo and everything. And unfortunately that's, that's what we've experienced that's the last adversely, six to seven years here. Well, that's at, adversely at the affecting level. the health. That's yeah. adversely affecting the health of the product right now. It well, really and, and and you know, I've got to think that people who are in a leadership position are being driven crazy by this. I'm sure they are. You know, people. Well, you that, you can probably speak to that firsthand with the organization that you run. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's. It, it, it's it's interesting when you see it from the other side, and and you know. You speak of gathering information. Um, I've gathered information on on large provincial sports organizations, on on small. It, it it's really a balancing act in terms of addressing the mm -hmm. the, the the needs of, of both of them because you've got uh, groups that, and I'm sure U Sports comes up uh, against this all the time too. You got groups who are positioned at the table as somewhat equals, mm -hmm. but their cultures don't even match up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm talking to a smaller province who operates like a, commu a, a community football association, and I'm talking to a larger province that operates like a smaller version of Football Canada, in, in, in many cases, the, the two conversations that, that I'm having aren't relative to one another. Yeah. And, and, and it's really hard to find the balancing point well, then you between, throw, then between, you throw between, in this between province. the between the two. Well, yeah. and this province is divided, right? Well, I was gonna say, and then you throw in this province where you have to add this in province the elements. Being BC. Yeah, you yeah. have to add in the elements of American rules football being played in a significant portion of the population, and then there's Canadian and other places, and there's like kids go from if they go through all the football Canada mandates, they go through community organizations playing Canadian football and then they shift over to high school football and play American and then they shift back to Canadian rules and play junior or university. Yeah, so, or they can go up to Simon Fraser and play American still. Uh, but you know, that, that's a- and Spend their October Saturdays in Ellensburg, Washington. <laughs> yeah, at least it's a bus ride. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, there again, you know, when I, when, when I take a look at, um, at balancing the the uh, the needs of the of the smaller groups versus the um, direction that the larger groups want to take, that's <laughs> that that that's that's really difficult when they when they enter into a into a discussion that has the same set of rights, mm -hmm. more or less weighted rights, but the same set of rights. The other thing is you just pointed it out about BC, which is. You know, one of the approaches that I want to take, and I think a lot of people on our board want to take at Football Canada is, I don't care where you're playing football, I don't even care if you're a member, you're a stakeholder in this game, mm -hmm. right? We need to be about more than just the people that have sent off $15 and become a membership, mm -hmm. uh, a member of, uh, of the organization. We need to have an open door to everybody. We're, mm -hmm. we're not a closed organization. Yeah. That's tough to change that culture when it comes to, to, to a number of... Uh, different groups that we uh, that we have to work with out there because because we're at a juncture with this game right now where we need to be accommodating of each other. Yep. Uh, you know, numbers are down. Maybe numbers are up in flag, but in terms of contact football, we see the numbers going down at a rate of about 6.5% a year, at least uh, according to our official numbers. They're probably somewhat lower because there's a 
there's a number of groups out there that aren't members of Football Canada, but let's assume it's the 5% a year. Uh -huh. that, that's the time to take a look at someone who is playing football who's not a member of our organization, say, how do we fix this together? Yep. Even if you're not a member, how do we fix this together? Yep. Instead of worrying about something that happened 50 years ago or some rivalry that happened 25 years ago between two organizations, at, at, at some point in time, uh, the, the, the interest of the, uh, of the group needs to come together and, and, and consult and then be led, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, sometimes, when, like you're discussing with leadership, I think we've got too many faux leaders out there pulling in all sorts of different directions because they know what they know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I don't know. It's, it's a long and complex issue that I don't have any brilliant solutions for. But I would say you just talked about different cultures in different areas. I can understand why that would be an issue at the U sports level. Within the conferences, though, like especially with bishops moving over to the AUS and, and uh, adjoining with more like-minded schools over there, like you should be able to have more or less consensus amongst the membership in each of the four conferences right now. Yeah. And, and, and you should be able to, especially if you do it with a reasonable majority threshold instead of a complete 100% buy-in threshold, like you should be able to move things forward. But it just, to me, feels like the leadership is too spineless. And like I said earlier, it's it's always just path of least resistance. Don't piss anybody off. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's two things. It's don't piss anybody off, but it's also don't piss your bottom line off. And, and you know, uh, at the end of the day, it comes back to risk management again. Uh, if you had a magic solution outside of, you know, what we know in business and what we know in life about leadership and organizations, if there was one thing that you could recommend uh, to a group like U Sports, for example, to get them on the right track, whatever that right track is, what would it be? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, I think that uh, trying to tie the Vanier Cup in with the Grey Cup is is a good step in the right direction. I think that uh, you talk about alignment with organizations. I think that the the relationship between U Sports and the CFL needs to grow closer and closer and closer. I think so they're the working where, on that. I, think I know they are. I know they are. I agree. Yeah. Um, but to the point where U Sports almost becomes an extension of the CFL, I think that that's kind of where it needs to go in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you're right. I think they are working towards that. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that they're trying to align the Vanier Cup with the Grey Cup and all that kind of good mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and make it make sure it's part of the Great Cup Festival. If it's going to be on a standalone day, all that kind of stuff, I think that would be that would be important too. And then prioritizing platforming the product. And mm -hmm. and I and and the thing is too, like um, the TV. You've talked at we've talked at nauseum about TV. Sign a TV deal where you have your one TV distributor, but make sure that contract allows you to seek out streaming options. Yeah, the and, ESPN and, Plus option. Yeah, the or Twitter live yeah. stream or something yeah. like that, and and just try and have like blanket coverage where you wear a uniform look and a uniform feel yeah where but where people have all sorts of different options to access the product because that's the way that media works in today's day and age mm -hmm. is the more ways and places that you have to access a product the more engagement you're going to get out of it and because different consumers have different ways of wanting to access the product a lot of the older generations prefer to sit there in front of a more traditional TV set with a traditional cable box and throw something on channel 23, mm -hmm. which is TSN in a good chunk of the country. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, you know, one thing, and it just popped into my mind, dim light bulb going off, uh, if there isn't a path to TV, English-wise, mm -hmm. for, for the Vanier Cup, one good point of collision for it, CFL.ca. Yeah. That, that, that would be a great internet platform for uh, U Sports to... 
to share their product with and, and get it out there. I know CFL.ca does a great job in and around the, uh, uh, the combine and they've done some great stuff around football week. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, as a path for events, mm -hmm. like, you know, for instance, for our Canada Cup, for Football Canada, I, I'd, I'd love to kind of push in that direction, although we do a pretty good job around Canada Cup and, and, uh, and webcasting, but it's another place to get that football collision. Mm -hmm. It's not TV, yep. but it's a place that a lot of people visit and, and a lot of football people who aren't necessarily uh, college or university football people also visit and may discover something about the sport that they really like. Um, Event-wise, I would like to see more alignment with with the pro game as well. And and so what I have in mind is is something like what they're doing with the Winter Classic or Heritage Classic or whatever they called the game in Regina this mm -hmm. past weekend with the NHL. Well, today is Sunday. Um, the NHL played last night. Who's playing today? Regina Pats. Correct. Yeah. The Regina Pats are playing yeah. in the same venue, and the tickets were packaged in. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be as big a crowd by any means, mm -hmm. but a good chunk of them are going to are going to attend that as well. We've seen that done for Van for Grey Cup Festival in, in years past, and those have been the most successful Vanier Cups. Why can't that be done for a regular season CFL game? And mm -hmm. I know it's not as much of a one-off event, but you know, here in BC, have a UBC weekend, have an SFU weekend, and and tie those in with the pro game. And, mm -hmm. and whether and to be honest with you, throw that ticket in with your ticket to the Lions game that weekend, and see how many people come back and check it out. Well, Something like that would be fantastic. I, and, I, and the LA I'd, go, I'd, I'd go in another direction in, in this particular market in Vancouver, and and you know, uh, OSEG in Ottawa has done a great job in terms of contributing mm -hmm. to to what the Panda game is all about. They don't go about it this way, but. I think in this market, if you tie in season ticket sales, whatever the season ticket base is in BC, it can't be that good these days, mm -hmm. uh, into and throw in a $10 value ticket or a $20 value ticket into the Shrum Bowl, if mm -hmm. the, those SFU and UBC can ever play, sure. it's your 11th ticket in your package. I think that would be fantastic if you could work that. Well, and, uh, so an another thing that I think think of too, though, like um, the LA Dodgers in Major League Baseball, they do UCLA night mm -hmm. and they do USC night, mm -hmm. and they give out Dodgers hats in UCLA powder cake blue, and they mm -hmm. give out Dodgers hats in uh, scarlet and gold for USC, like, mm -hmm. and and they tie that in as well. I mean, I, I could see. The, the two universities partnering with with the Lions for that kind of promotion, or take it another step down, tie in if you're UBC, do a Friday night game, have Vancouver College play their game right before your game. Mm -hmm. and they're, they're right down the road, mm -hmm. you know, and and then you tie in a doubleheader that way. Two sets wow. of markings, get them playing on a Canadian field. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty easy to have two sets of markings on the field. You just move the pylons around. We play on yeah. one in our home venue. It's not that difficult. Is, is it one set of uh, uh, goalposts five yards out? Huh? Uh, they have movable goalposts at UBC. Oh, anyway. uh, okay. Now, typically what they'll do is in the convertible fields, they'll just rotate the goalposts. Yeah, yeah. I've seen they, they do that uh, in uh, Coquitlam. Yeah. Town center. Yeah. Or the other way to do it is you offset it, and then one of the end zones has the goalpost at the front, one of them has it at the back. That's what we do at Clover Athletic. Yeah, there's there's, anyway. a, there's always a way to do this. Uh, what do you say uh, next week we talk about uh, football and the international angle? Because sure. we've gone through uh, the global player thing uh, at the CFL level. There's so are a, we going to be able? Because are you not in England next week? Are we going to be? Able I, to I, I, am, I am in England next week. Maybe you can put me on a speakerphone or something. Mm, I don't. There you go. That, that, well, actually, what? 
I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, people probably need a break from us. How about I take a week off? Okay. Okay, because I will be in London, England uh, at IFAF Congress. IFAF is the world governing body of gridiron football, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and when I come back, I think I'll probably have some pretty interesting takes on global football, not from the Randy Ambrosi perspective, mm -hmm. but from the international group perspective. By the way, I just you, you bring it up, and I think it does bear mentioning, in case you missed it, the LFA in Mexico announced that they're going to be having a Canadian draft. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that not correct? That is so correct. I made this point on Twitter. For those of you that were barking at the CFL 2.0 initiative and the international players draft and going, oh, what a sideshow this is, you look like idiots right mm -hmm. now, just so you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to build off a base somewhere. And I think the, uh, I think the potential for this, this global angle, has, has been sitting there for about 20 years, and kudos for, to Randy Ambrosi for pursuing it. Mm -hmm. There's a few other things that, that I think uh, might be reconsidered or done a little differently in terms of accessing countries and grassroots and those sorts of things, because it, it, as much as Randy seems to be in a hurry to do this stuff, uh, I think some of, this, some of these initiatives are going to take time. They're going to take four-year cycles, or yep. they're going to take six-year cycles. Mm -hmm. But but you know, at, at least he uh, uh, threw some hand grenades in his, into some ponds to do some fishing. Yeah, right. And, and that's the way you got to get this stuff started. Well, and he's got to have some urgency because there's yeah. there's no tenure to his job particularly. No. So he's got to no. get things done that he wants to get done. Oh, for sure. On a timeline. For so, sure. Anyway. anyway, that does it for the Gridiron Nation podcast for another week. We'll take a week off next week as I'm in London, England. And then uh, we'll talk about uh, global football when, uh, when I come back in uh, two weeks' time. Thanks.